I was looking for a specific sound, and it was kind of keyed into the design of the movie, which is kind of the future as seen from the mid-60s, sort of. It's supposed to be kind of of a period, but also timeless. That was Brad Bird, and this is Underscore, a podcast of music and story. Welcome back to Underscore, the show that celebrates the rich tradition of movie music, one film at a time. I am Marty Brueggemann, and with me as always is my brother Will. We are thrilled to dive into our next film subject, Michael Giacchino's score to 2004's The Incredibles. This movie was produced by Pixar Animation Studios and written and directed by the incredible Brad Bird. We are just so excited. Um, Really, that underscore is back and that we get to move into our next movie. Absolutely. And The Incredibles brings our show to some exciting new frontiers. This is our first score by Michael Giacchino and also uh, our first Pixar film and really our first animated feature film. Yeah, a lot of firsts here, and I think it's fitting for our, you know, big return after kind of a unusually extended hiatus. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but beyond that, the music itself is also a first for us because the score to The Incredibles is not so much business as usual, but it's an exciting blend of this brassy, jazzy, spy versus superhero style <laughs> that we are just crazy about. Ladies and gentlemen, let's jump right into today's episode, The Sound of the Incredibles. This special style that we're talking about has its roots in film and television music of the 1960s when the fusion of jazz music, Afro-Cuban, and symphonic music hit an all-time high. Let's immerse ourselves in a couple of examples of what we're talking about. You know, we don't really think about colorful spy capers without remembering Lalo Schifrin's work on the original Mission Impossible TV series. Let's listen. This is the theme to Roland Hand. That is just terrific and really difficult to imagine uh, music like that written for today's television. Incredible playing and there's just such great feel in all of the musicians. As the expression goes, just really swings. Yeah, absolutely. It's safe to say all of us are very familiar with Lalo Schifrin's incredibly iconic and memorable theme to Mission Impossible that's still in circulation to this day. <laughs> right. and. Uh, funnily enough, Michael Giacchino has had multiple opportunities writing the score to modern Mission Impossible movies. You could say one of kind of his resume pieces for getting to do the Mission Impossible movies was his work on The Incredibles. I kind of like that story when it comes to Michael Giacchino. Now he's getting to actually legitimately work in multiple series that were big influences to some of his early film music. Yeah, that is such a satisfying, almost kind of like Cinderella story with Michael (laughs) Giacchino's career. 
But looking at the orchestration of what we just listened to, there's really such a wide spectrum of colors. Uh, you know, the sort of intimate piano setting that we start mm-hmm. with, and then as the full band comes in, the bright, blaring trumpets and all of the aux percussion, the congas and the drum right. set, there's something interesting like at every spot on the frequency spectrum, so to speak. That's such a good point, Marty. And yeah, I, I think the sound of these recordings and how they were engineered play as big of a part to that Lalo Schifrin sound or that kind of like spy TV show movie sound. You know, whenever you hear things written for music libraries that are supposed to sound like that, that kind of have that, you know, 70s swanky jazz kind of sound, it feels like in addition to the style of composition, they're really trying to nail the sound of that ensemble in the way that the recordings are engineered, kind of replicating the sound of that tape distortion that happens when the brass is really kind of belting. Yeah, absolutely. We have a lot of great throwback examples these days. Uh, you know, studios like Daptone set a really high standard for um, really kind of accurately getting at the engineering quality of these. But something that I know you and I often respond to in a lot of attempts at throwback is usually on the on the musical side where maybe things just aren't quite approaching that same level. And here this piece is so harmonically rich and clearly coming from a lived-in jazz background. Uh, you know, we have this extended harmony and incredible uh, voice leading in, you know, the brass choirs yeah. and, and the string section. These wonderful, you know, Devisi string harmonies that uh, are a pretty rare bird these days. So I think it's safe to say that the average moviegoer um, is almost intended to be reminded of that era. Um, yeah, I think you're right. Because I, I think the, the Incredibles exists in a timeless fashion. It doesn't feel like it's of any specific era, but visually and aesthetically, it's very much evoking the 1960s. And television, as well as movies, what I love about the tone that Brad Bird struck is we're so inundated with superhero films, especially nowadays, um, we kind of may have maybe a specific tone in mind when we think of some of these big action superhero films. But I so love that The Incredibles feels like a spy movie because right. it's really about the nature of the narrative structure of that film. It's not just about the fact that there are superheroes in it. It's a movie about superheroes, but the genre film is really more like a spy movie. And mystery is just such a great way to experience narrative. I think just as human beings, we want really exciting questions answered. It's funny, I think in a lot of the most effective pieces of sort of mass storytelling, there's some kind of mystery component. I know J.K. Rowling said um, essentially every Harry Potter story is a, is a whodunit at its heart, right. but yet we don't necessarily think of it that way. And yeah, I think with The Incredibles, there's a lot that comes to mind when we recall the film. But yeah, we might forget until we're sitting down with it that there's a great mystery spy espionage element. That's a thread that really runs through the entire movie. Yeah, completely. And it's very specifically Lalo Schifrin. I mean, and we'll probably talk more about this in, in the weeks to come. But even the use of the 5-4 meter, which happens right. a lot in The Incredibles, most prominently in, the credits, in, yeah. Yeah, yeah, in, in that kind of what I think of as maybe the definitive version of The Incredibles theme, it's very much kind of a la the Mission Impossible theme. And even the contours of that melody, it, right. it sounds very James Bondian. 
Uh, and, and there's this very specific kind of, I don't know what you call it, um, superhero spy big band blues. It's like this very <laughs> similar palette that connects Mission Impossible and, you know, maybe Peter Gunn and the Batman theme. And Absolutely. I, I don't know, even like Cowboy Bebop or uh, this very sort of similar kind of bluesy vibe. So much spy music all seems to borrow and share from almost a similar musical dictionary of common phrases and common modalities that really remind us of that genre. Right. And so many of those roads do lead back to this period of time that we're talking about when there's this melting pot of all these different musical idioms. Let's take a listen to some more music of this period. Now, another composer who absolutely left his mark on the sound of the 60s and American music in general would be Mr. Henry Mancini. Right. Yeah. Mancini had just an incredible gift for melody, as well as very inventive orchestration. Let's listen to an excerpt from Mr. Lucky titled, That's It and That's All. listen to this music all day once again these players just sound terrific their feel is just pitch perfect Uh, and speaking of those musicians that beautiful tinkling piano that you're hearing is uh, courtesy of none other than a young John Williams That's one of those fun facts when you think of like a great master composer like John Williams. It's hard to imagine him being a performer and working underneath all of you know, these incredible film composers. Um, but that's exactly what he did. As we talk about this sound, we can't separate it from the personality of these performers. I think it's safe to say that a lot of the Hollywood music that we expect these days Um, we're not often thinking of individual humans playing it. And we certainly should be, but we sort of think of the Hollywood sound as either a powerful force, you know, really brassy and kind of aggressive, or very smooth and pad-like texture. And this sort of jazzy idiom that we're digging into today is really personal, and Mm -hmm. the musicianship of each of these human beings comes across in these recordings. Just touching briefly on something that's happening in the orchestration of this Mancini piece, uh, we noticed this moment with this bass flute choir, and this lovely uh, harmonized passage, and that's something for us to pay attention to in the score of The Incredibles. We have flutes in their low register often, and uh, frequently bass flutes, really bringing us back to this sound, this world of the 60s.
Another particular composer who might jump out at us from this period that The Incredibles is very much sending up would have to be the 007 maestro himself, John Barry. Barry was responsible for 11 James Bond scores between 1963 and 1987, and these are some of the most famous and beloved, you know, Dr. No from Russia with Love, Goldfinger, and On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And Barry's music was apparently a large influence on Brad Bird and the production of The Incredibles, which depicts this hyper-stylized, sort of mod-era America, full of gadget-heavy spying, as we've talked about, and really bombastic, colorful superhero action. And fittingly enough, John Barry was actually hired as the composer of this film, and Pixar also secured the rights to an existing piece of Barry's music, the main theme to On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Let's reacquaint ourselves with that main title composed by John Barry in 1969. <laughs> Interestingly, the end of the theme's phrase lands on a rather surprising pitch, emphasizing the unexpected chord change, uh, leaving this feeling of a quasi-shift from minor to major, and sort of back and forth. Uh, with love and respect to the great and late John Barry, it's a somewhat unsettling sound, um, though certainly memorable, and I think in intentionally sort of unsettling, definitely highlighting sort of a mystery. Yeah, there's, there's something about it, though, I think just in context because I, I wasn't really familiar with this piece and when listening to it as a legitimate influence for The Incredibles you can definitely hear the DNA of this piece within Michael Giacchino's incredible theme but I have to say I so much prefer the one that exists in The Incredibles I, I think it's just more harmonically satisfying and more melodically satisfying as well and it's kind of interesting hopefully on today's episode we might track the journey of uh, these influences as they actually codified in the finished film. Yeah, so like Will said, for fans of the incredible soundtrack, I'm sure your ears perked up during that cue, and there's certainly something awfully familiar about the character of that theme. We have this rising statement, followed by a triplet turn, and then another rising statement, and that's the phrase that lands on that surprising pitch we mentioned. We won't go into much more detail than that, but let's remember this moment for later. Now, Brad Bird seemed to have a particular fondness for this theme, and he employed it, actually, in the first promotional material for The Incredibles, which was a teaser that was attached to Finding Nemo back in 2003. But the teaser didn't simply include an existing recording of On Her Majesty's Secret Service. It featured a newly orchestrated and recorded orchestral arrangement, which scored the teaser. In a later interview, uh, Bird said, 
That was a live performance that we recorded because we messed with it a little bit. We got the rights to that piece of music and kind of reorchestrated it. Yeah, you could actually call it a reimagining of the theme because the melody and harmony were also something original. Now here, the harmony does not change at the moment in question that we highlighted earlier, and our melody now ascends up a perfect fifth. Harmonically, it's more stable, and melodically, it's a longer, arguably more dramatic leap. And in addition to that, it just feels one step closer to the theme that ended up in the final film. Outside of the interview quote we mentioned above, we could only find really scant information on that teaser, and we don't really know who to credit for this particular reimagining. But I think for now, it's safe to thank Brad Bird for this new version of the theme. Now, reports differ slightly, but by the fall of 2003, John Barry was no longer attached to the film. And contrary to some rumors, he hadn't actually composed much, but had pitched a few demos to the filmmakers who ultimately chose to change direction. This is a quote from Brad Bird. He said, Yeah, we worked on it for a little bit, and I'm a huge fan of John Barry, but I kind of wanted him to go back to a style that he used in the past and use that as kind of a starting place. I think he kind of felt like he'd already done that, so we're still in touch with him, and he's going to see the movie in New York. He was all right with us trying to find someone that could be perky and fresh about going backwards, because John certainly had already done a lot of that style. And that perky and fresh composer was Mr. Michael Giacchino. And for most of the film going public, The Incredibles was our introduction to Giacchino. And not unlike what we said about Silvestri's work and Back to the Future, he took this opportunity and soared. Now, we've talked on the Super Mercado Brothers video game music podcast, the sort of sibling show to underscore that I co-host with our brother Carl. We've talked about Michael Giacchino's origins in video game music, actually, where he composed some of the first fully orchestral soundtracks in that medium. He created the score to The Lost World, you know, the Jurassic Park sequel video game, is often credited with being the first fully orchestral video game soundtrack. And then he went on to work on the Medal of Honor series, as well as the first games in the Call of Duty series. It's interesting. There are three huge names that stand out in Giacchino's career. Uh, Steven Spielberg, who gave him his first opportunity to compose for video games. J.J. Abrams, who gave him his first opportunity to compose for television, and now Brad Bird, who gives him his first opportunity to compose for a blockbuster movie. Yeah, another quote from that same interview with Brad Bird. He says, We tried to capture a whole raft of 60s style, jazz style, and also one of the good things about Michael Giacchino is that he was able to capture that style but not be a prisoner to it. He created great original themes for these guys and were incredibly happy with the music. He had trouble getting people to give him a break in movies, and I think that people won't leave him alone after this. They have not left him alone. Uh, Michael Cicchino's film credits are now almost too numerous to mention, including his Academy Award-winning score to Up, also from Pixar, uh, Ratatouille, 2009 Star Trek, John Carter, uh, the Mission Impossible films, as we mentioned, Tomorrowland, Inside Out, War of the Planet of the Apes. And last year, he became the first composer since John Williams to compose a Star Wars film with Rogue One. 
Now, we've mentioned Michael several times on the podcast, and we've really been itching to explore his music more fully. One thing that's important to note with Giacchino is that he loves film music. John Williams, Jerry Goldsmith, Max Steiner, the classics of our world. But he also has a particular fondness for the period Brad Bird wanted to capture in this movie, that 1960s sound of John Barry, Lalo Schifrin, Henry Mancini, and others. And not stopping there, Michael's also a great champion of some of the composers we highlighted last week, like Carl Stalling and Scott Bradley. Let's try to put ourselves into Michael's shoes here. This is a huge opportunity with a Hollywood-sized budget and practically a built-in audience. We have to remember every Pixar film up until this point, and I suppose that trend continues to this day, has been a huge box office hit. And the style of this movie called for a bold, jazzy score, the likes of which are all but endangered in Hollywood which would be plenty to get excited over, but he's also brought in as a replacement to then a living legend in John Barry. And Brad Bird and the filmmakers had already established very clear ideas for the score, as we saw in what happened with the teaser. As the premiere closed in, the first trailer for the film also used a modified rendition of the On Her Majesty's Secret Service theme with that same harmonic and melodic shift. Now, we've talked before about temporary score and temp tracks in film scoring and the benefits and challenges of having to work on a movie that's heavily temped. Which we should say is the norm on almost every Hollywood production currently. But here on The Incredibles, we have something almost unprecedented, a piece of temp music that's been altered and reimagined by the director and presented to the public now twice accompanying the promotional material. Now, we can predict what some composers in Michael's situation would do here. You know, roll with the filmmaker's direction and employ their worked-on version of the theme. But we really think what he actually does is the best possible solution. Two important things here. First, Michael Giacchino takes the melodic character that Brad Bird had landed on and rewrites it as something more specifically heroic and, I mean, in our opinion, much more satisfying. Yeah, we actually open with a larger, more heroic leap up that perfect fifth rather than the minor third of On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And ultimately, by the end, we arrive at this minor six, which is in some ways actually more James Bondy than On Her Majesty's Secret Service. That's that really sort of tension-filled, mysterious harmonic sound that we have at the end and really pushes our theme onward. Absolutely. Also, and this might seem myopic, but The Incredibles theme is also slightly more rhythmically active, adding uh, one additional note to that rhythm that's by now familiar. And if any of this seems like tiny details to call attention to, and for any of you claiming that The Incredibles is simply, you know, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, that's really not the case that I think either Marty or myself is trying to make here. Yeah, and in, in music, as in so many disciplines, the devil is really in the details, or as Stephen Sondheim puts it, God is in the details. Uh, the one note up, one note down that John Williams talks about isn't some sort of pat line for interviews. These are the sorts of things that we bang our heads against composing sometimes. 
I think that's very true. And the reality is that you couldn't sing The Incredibles over the chords to On Her Majesty's Secret Service or the teaser music or vice versa. But regardless, we're missing our second important observation to what Michael did. He composed an entirely different main fanfare that is just as vital to the score as the one we've discussed. And we're talking about... It's sort of like in the score to Superman the movie, it's almost in the ear of the beholder as to which is the main theme. They arguably both lay claim to it. Well, and they they kind of have a shared DNA in yeah. the in the same way that, again, not to keep mentioning video game music, but when I think of a, about a composer like Koji Kondo, for those of you that have ever played Super Mario 64, you might have noticed that almost every level theme in that game is based around the same melody, but you wouldn't necessarily notice it the first time around because even though they share the same DNA and almost general chord structure and kind of peak melodic points each one of them has a very different rhythmic character and very different arrangement and i think that's sort of like what happens here you have which feels very heroic and kind of noble and much more basic i guess but then you have and in both of these ideas they have a similar skeleton but completely different character musically absolutely and this isn't utterly different choice than simply taking the approach that Brad Bird had wanted based on the teasers and just rolling with it. This choice of Michael's is a nice illustration of the score overall. It owes something to scores and composers that came before, but it is also a vital work of creation. Revisiting some of Brad Bird's comments, he had said, we try to capture a whole raft of 60s style, jazz style, and also one of the good things about Michael Cicchino is he was able to capture that style but not be a prisoner to it. He created great original themes for these guys and were incredibly happy with the music. Well, this brings us to another important point that's just as good to mention here as anywhere, that no creative person is content with just assembling existing pieces and putting their name on it. It's in the opposite direction of what drives creative people. All of us yearn to express ourselves in the world and literally create new materials out of what we know and love and out of who we are. And in our experience, when you encounter a flippant response on the internet, perhaps, claiming, well, this is really just this, and B is just A, it's almost always woefully under-examining and underappreciating the subject in question. In creative works, every detail matters. Every detail has repercussions and affects us differently. When I think the biggest uh, danger to that kind of flippant response isn't necessarily in the specific things in question that they're trying to say, oh, this is just this. It's really in the fact that if that's the attitude you have and you're willing to reduce things that have a similar nature as to being one and the same, you really dismiss, I would argue, 90% of all musical compositions that have ever been written. Or right. further than that, any artistic expression. I mean, we don't exist in a vacuum. Every piece of music builds upon the foundations of every other piece of music you've heard in your life. The same way that I think every work of art, visual art, does the same thing. Every story, every film. And I think that's really a beautiful thing. We're all 
part of this collective culture and we influence each other. Uh, but I completely agree with Marty that the devil is in the details. And so if you're willing to dismiss, say, two pieces of classical music that have a slightly similar melody and orchestration or maybe a, a similar chord sequence and say, yep, that's just the same, you're really dismissing all of the profound art that's in between the lines and all those things. And I I just don't think that's a very enjoyable way to experience the world. (laughs) Well, and we don't really agree on that value when it comes to human beings. You know, a lot of us might have similar features or opinions or similar accents or looks, but most of us regard each person as unique and worthy of uh, attention. And I think it's only natural to kind of extend those values to the art that we love. I completely agree. And so I think that's why from this point on, we won't get any further bogged down uh, by comparisons. There's just too much joyful music to dig into. (laughs) Hear, hear. Now, uh, modern film music, music in the 21st century, can be a huge operation, most often requiring a very dedicated team. Now, with Michael here as the head coach of the operation, let's look at some of the members of his team. Conducting, we have Tim uh, Simonek, who is also Michael's supervising orchestrator. Tim has worked with Michael Giacchino since the video game days, and he's been a part of nearly every single project since then. Also on the orchestration team for The Incredibles were Chris Tilton, Matthew Ferraro, Adam Cohen, and an industry legend, the late Jack Hayes, who had been composing and orchestrating in Hollywood since the 1950s. He worked on classic movies like The Magnificent Seven and The Great Escape, to name a few. On the recording side, Giacchino worked with another industry legend, recording engineer and mixer Dan Wallen, who engineered The Incredibles in a classic old-school style, favoring an analog signal chain and recording on analog tape. Now, the musicians on the soundtrack feature some of Los Angeles's finest and really true to the jazz spirit. It features some virtuosic improvisation throughout recruiting instruments. We don't often hear these days in film music, you know, vibraphone, bass flutes, and saxophones. And for the end credits, uh, present-day big band arranging legend Gordon Goodwin stepped in, providing a blaring big band arrangement titled In Credits. (laughs) Uh, We should mention that Michael is known for very cheeky wordplay in his cue names, regardless of the film. So from Brad Bird to Michael Giacchino and his team to the wonderful studio musicians, everyone involved in the score is working in the same direction, and it really shows. The writing, the orchestration, the performance all multiply into something truly special, a score that leaps out and gives the computer-animated film incredible life. (laughs) 
really, I have to say, one of my favorite moments of the entire score is something that we just listened to when you have that entire like shout chorus of trumpets and saxophones just playing. And I, I just love how versatile Michael's ideas are here. You know, they can wear any kind of presentation and be satisfying because the melodies are so good underneath. 100%. That's really starting to get at the heart of what is just so special about Michael Giacchino's score and why for so many of us sitting in the theater, we were just sort of blown away by the music to this film. And the movie itself. I really oh think it's goodness. one of Pixar's crowning achievements to this day. You know, we've talked about musicians and composers who helped to shape the sound of The Incredibles, including the director Brad Bird himself, and not to dismiss any of those people, but the sound of The Incredibles is much more than, you know, the throwback 60s vibe we've been discussing. Michael Giacchino's score is wide-ranging emotionally and stylistically. Many of our favorite moments in the score I would say fall on the other side of the spectrum, like the tender music that happens with Violet in school, uh, the liberating 100-mile dash that I think is just quintessential Giacchino, or the music that plays the sweeter side of the family's super bond. about you marty but this has just been delightful exploring all this music and it's all it's done is really whetted my appetite for the weeks to come where we get to dissect the incredible score to this incredible movie and as will mentioned earlier we're also just so excited to get back into the podcast and to share our love of these films and this music with with all of you out there and yeah safe to say the weeks ahead are just going to be such a treat and i know we both can't wait uh, to sit down with the movie for the final episode of this segment which will once again be our full-length audio commentary so yeah, we just want to thank all of you for sticking with us again for that extended uh, break that we were on for a while, but hopefully you've enjoyed these last two episodes and are ready for even more fun in the weeks and months to come. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, or ideas for the show, please feel free to drop us a line, the underscore show at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, uh, we would really appreciate it if you were able to rate and leave a review at Apple Podcasts, formerly known as the <laughs> iTunes Store. That really helps new listeners to discover the podcast. And for those of you that don't have Apple products and want to find other ways of listening to this podcast, our show is available on Stitcher as well as other RSS podcast aggregators. And you can find every episode at our website, underscorepodcast.com. Underscore is made possible thanks to our Patreon producers, including Jean-David Blanc, Charlie McCarran, Stuart Folks, BJ Crawford, Matthew Berry, Alex Death, Desmond Clark, Jordan Kolosinski, Travis Anderson, and Jackie Brugler. 
You can find us on all manner of social media, Facebook and YouTube. And as always, you can follow us on Twitter at underscore underscore show. The second underscore is silent. Until next time, everybody. And remember, we listen because we love. Take care. Underscore is part of the Marcado Brothers Podcast Network.